So to all the listeners, um, it's Darren from HackerJob here. This week, I'm joined by Rachel Cross, career strategist, marketing consultant, and people developer. Hey, then, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for attending. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor. <laughs> um, so I, I guess first question, as always, is not everyone that's listened to the podcast would have come across your profile before will know uh, a lot about you. So would you mind giving us a bit of background on yourself and how you've got to the position you are in now? Sure, yeah, so I call myself a, a business Sherpa. I have two different types of things that I do in my business, which is, uh, the first one is marketing consulting. So I specialize in brand strategy and marketing communication strategy. And then the second thing that I do is career strategy, which is really helping people who feel stuck in their full-time day jobs launch freelance or solopreneur careers so sure. they can have more freedom and flexibility in their lives. Nice. And um, when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, you've got a really, really interesting background because uh, I know you were saying that you started in, in kind of big tech. Um, yeah. So how did you transition from working in like a big corporation to what you do now? Yeah. So I worked in corporate America for, for big tech companies, mainly in the wireless industry for about 12 years. And then about year 10 of that career, I started to become a little bit disillusioned with just the way the company was being run um, and even just the product that we were selling, I didn't fully believe in, which is really hard as a marketer to yeah. say, hey, I, I wouldn't sell you this you know, to my friends, but I'm now trying to market this to the world. And yeah. so there was a couple of things happening and I had been asking myself the question, what would I do without fear of failure? And when I answered that for myself, it really came down to, I love marketing. I love the right meets left brain. That's how I'm wired. I love art and creativity and music. And, but I also am good at science and math and I like spreadsheets. Like it's a very strange combo. So I love that about marketing, but I wanted to do it for companies that were doing good in the world and for projects that I really cared about. And what happened is year 12 of that corporate career, the one of, I was working for a subsidiary of a big company and they decided to shut our division down. And so I had the chance to, you know, launch my own marketing consulting business and I gave myself a six month runway. That was about how much savings I had. So I thought, well, if I don't make any money in six months, I'll just go back and get another corporate job. And that was nine years ago. So it's worked out quite well. I was gonna say it's gone well then is probably the best yeah. way to do that, it's the same. It's really interesting what you say about that it's hard to market uh, products that you don't believe in, you wouldn't sell to your friends. Because not naming companies, there's some companies I look at and I, I've never really thought about it that way. Like I love what, I, what I'm involved in uh, from the hacker job side and I'm really passionate about it. But I suspect there's some people that maybe aren't as passionate about what they're, they're selling. So it's interesting that you've taken that leap going, look, I, I want to believe in what I'm doing. Whereas a lot of people maybe don't. Yeah, I think we believe this lie that a lot of people stumble into their careers and then we believe this lie that that's the only way we can have financial stability yep. is to stay in either stay in what we're doing or kind of just double down and like just bear this burden of not enjoying our day to day. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm really passionate about the career strategy. I'm passionate about both sides, but the career strategy side, because you know, if you do the math of, in the Western world mainly, right? That we work maybe 40 to 50 hours a week and we work, let's say 50 weeks a year, at least in the US. I know you in, in Europe, you take a, a bit more vacation, which is, which is brilliant. 
And then let's say we work, you know, 40 years, maybe age 25 to 65. That's 80,000 hours. It's a third of our lives, half of our waking hours we spend working. And for me, that's just too, too much time to spend not enjoying what you do, not believing in what you do, and not feeling like you're making a difference. Yeah, I'm, I love that ideology. Um, and it kind of builds on quite nicely to what I was going to ask you next. So uh, you, you're also, uh, on top of everything else, you seem to be a mind reader. So something we see a lot on the Hag Job platform is candidates who maybe uh, are in their 20s or 30s, who yeah. have transitioned into tech or already work in tech, but they want to move into whether it's a different role, different framework, so still within the, the same means. But a lot of these people tend to feel a bit stuck, I guess. Um, and it's almost like they, they come to the point in their lives where where we feel like we're too old to make a, a change and follow the passions and, and dreams that we had at the start. But I know that you in particular think that's a lie, right? Looking at it from, from a company's perspective, what would you recommend businesses do in order to attract technical talent or, or talent in general at this time? And how can managers stand out and be persuasive to help people with that? I think the interview process, at least in my experience in corporate America, as you know, having been interviewed really only a few times, but having interviewed hundreds of people when I was in management yeah. was it, we almost treat it like online dating, right? We meet this person online and then you have maybe like two one hour dates yeah. and then you're supposed to like decide whether you want to marry them. And it's yeah. ridiculous. We don't, we don't treat relationships like that. And so I think really having a more holistic approach to how we interview. So not just looking at their CV, but really also maybe incorporating some personality assessments, um, some skills assessments, even, you know, there's lots of great tools like Strength Finder from Gallup um, to understand how this person is wired, not only for the sake of them being a good fit for the specific role that you want to hire them for, but also are they going to be a good fit with the team? Because one person can, can greatly change the dynamics of a team. And so I think taking a holistic approach that way, but also maybe having a little bit longer. And I know some people are like, I want to fill a job right now. And that can be the, um, the problem, but having a longer term approach to date, we'll call it dating the candidate and saying like, let me get to know this person over the course of time. And that doesn't mean it has to be months, but it can mean having people from your team go and take them out to lunch right? And having multiple people from your team interview them, um, including your management as well, and maybe even some of your peers in management. So that would be my best advice, just to really get to know the person versus getting to know who they say they are on their CV. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, interesting. That's something I, before I joined Hacker Job, I, I got offered and I said, look, before I join, I want to meet some people on the team. So I insisted that I met a couple of people because, and I, I insisted it was out of the office as well, because the problem is, when you go into the office, you you are a different persona because That's I don't right. want to walk into the office and then that l- luckily it didn't happen and my CEO I think loves me but like I wouldn't want Mark to have turned around and gone no actually I I think you're a bit of a loser um, so <laughs> like you you worry a little bit about that but I also think that what you say is quite interesting where it's a little bit like dating and you make decisions very very quickly but in reality like you said you spend so much of your day with the people you work with that if there is a clash of personalities or a clash of, of how you work, it can be an absolute disaster. That's right. Yeah. So I think it's really important to make sure. And and then once you have a team, maybe you hire this person and you know you don't know everything about them still, sure. but to have a culture in your company that then is really promoting 
I, I don't really like the term team building because it feels dated to me, but promoting ways for your team to connect personally, because the reality is we're social creatures anthropologically. And so the, the better we get to know each other on a personal level outside of work, not doing like trust falls or anything cheesy like that, but actually something fun, something social and getting to know each other personally, then the better we have a chance of actually caring about the other person, collaborating with them well. And, and really that's going to increase the productivity of your team if you're willing to do that. Team building, and I'll use abbreviated commas for anyone that's not seen the video for this. Team building is fascinating to me because team building, especially in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the US, team building a lot of time is like, let's go to a restaurant, let's have dinner and let's have drinks. It's like, if I don't drink, like you're, you're very much pigeonholing me into it in a certain area. Like why, why can team building not go beyond it and it be something that really is building on top of what we actually are interested in doing? Like not everyone is interested in going to a bar and getting drunk. That's that right. Be what a lot of people do. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I think when companies invest in their teams, um, it also makes employees feel invested back in the company. So it's a two-way street. What's your opinion on on like the ping pong table culture that is uh, is hitting everywhere? Where, where it, again, for me, it's a very similar. Where if you're building, if you're saying, okay, let's build our teams uh, and friendships around a ping pong table, I can't play ping pong. So like, I literally won't be able to build a relationship around a ping pong table. So what's your opinion on the way that cultures have moved towards that way as well? Yeah, so you see, yeah, the ping pong or foosball or, or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah. So I think I, I like that because then it draws maybe the people that are drawn to that and they are going to form relationships. I know I live in San Diego, California. Beach volleyball is a big part of our culture here. And I've worked yeah. for a couple of companies that have actually had beach, you know, sand courts on our campus. And then we have leagues that have played and I've actually made some pretty good friends that way. Um, one of them has now turned into a client for my marketing consulting business. We didn't actually work together at one of those tech companies. We played volleyball together. So that was how we got to know each other. So there's, you know, to your point, some, sometimes it's specific, like if you don't play volleyball or I even, yeah. I actually played, um, I'll call it soccer, but football. And so we used to play, you know, football at lunch too. And that was just a volunteer thing. But getting to know people outside, I think that the point is getting to know people not doing the thing you're supposed to do at work and having no pressure of that and just having fun. So there's a lot to be said. There's lots of research about play and fun and how that contributes to healthy, um, just for us personally as individuals, healthy lives, but also as teams, for teams to be able to play and have fun, it leads to you know increased productivity and collaboration and those other things we talked about. Nice. So I guess we've taken it from the company perspective. Let's flip it over now and take it from the, from the individual perspective. So what advice would you give someone that feels like they're stagnating in their career and want to make a big change or a big transition? Yeah, I, I'm going to address something you, you said earlier, which is that people maybe feel like stuck and that they can't make a change because yep. maybe they're in their 30s. And when we think about how we are conditioned to even find our careers today, you know, we go to university and then we pick something when we're, you know, 21, 22, we have no idea who we are or, or what the world is about. And then we're supposed to pick this thing that we're supposed to do for the rest of our lives. And it's kind of madness when you think about it. And so really, um, again, I wish in education, we had a different way of being able to understand and learn about ourselves better. And I think we can take that upon ourselves though. There's so many tools now as individuals. So if you are, in a career where you feel stuck, no matter what age you are, 
really being able to step back, ask yourself some powerful questions, right? What would I do without fear of failure? How am I designed? What are the things at work that really bring me joy? Um, what are the skills I have? What am I good at? When other people compliment me, what are some common themes that emerge? And so I think questions are really powerful to start your brain, your retic reticular activating system in your brain, right? To start scanning then the world for like, hey, if I've now answered these questions, your brain is gonna start looking for ways to fulfill those things that you're asking yourself. Yep. And so I think that's a, one step is just to start asking yourself the question and then doing a little bit of networking and research. What else is out there that could fit this thing? Because there's the, the reality is there's so many jobs we don't even know exist. Um, and a lot of times it's finding that niche of the thing that I'm good at and the, the need that's out there. And a lot of times that can be in a company. And I know for, you know, your listeners in tech, especially, you know, engineering is not the only jobs and right available in tech, as you know. And so understanding what else is out there, talking to people like you to say, Hey, what, what's out there? What are the opportunities that could have? Can you look at my CV? Can we talk about my strengths and the things that I'm really passionate about? I think working with recruiters is really powerful for, especially when people have a philosophy like you at Hack a Job, to um, really holistically look at the person and then yeah. uh, make sure that even if they're, you know, whether they're shy or maybe their CV is great, but in person they're having a hard time, you can work with them and develop some of okay. that confidence with them. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, when we look at really successful people, there's a lot of really successful people we know in the world who didn't get their start until they were actually like in their 50s. So you think about J.R. Tolkien, right? I think he um, published his first book at like 62. Oh, wow, I didn't realize he was that old. Uh, I don't know if you have Zagat Guide there in London, but um, it's a like a, a very popular guide for restaurants and businesses here in the States. Okay. And um, Tim Zagat, you know, he got that started at 51. Or yeah. you think about... Um, Ray Kroc, who started McDonald's, he was 52 when yep. he started McDonald's, right? And so he, and he, he used to build machines before that. So completely different industry. So I think when you are passionate about what you want to do and you find again, that need that's out there and you find that fit yep. that you really can reinvent yourself. So I want to encourage people to start asking those questions and start doing the research and, and not believe the lie that you have to be stuck in the thing that you don't like. Yeah, I guess two points of that. I completely agree with the education piece. I think that I went through business management, which I think is the, it's like business administration in the States, yeah. which is the most taken degree in the world. And no one knows what they're going to do from it. I went to university and went to uh, Manchester in Northern England and just because all my mates were up there. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Grew up in a really small town and made the decision that I'm going to go up to Manchester just because it looks fun up there. And chose a degree that I didn't have no idea what I was going to do with it. Luckily, some of the things from it, I gained um, some knowledge. I think really what I gained was more social skills from university. But I agree that a lot of people make decisions very early in their lives that I want to be a lawyer or I want to be this or that. And you're making it 18 years old when in reality, you probably will end up doing something completely different. So don't yeah. judge yourself too much on if you make the wrong decision early on. It doesn't, right. it doesn't paint you for life. Building on the, the second point of, of changing your career, my favorite example of anything that we've ever done at Hacker Job was he was a project engineer, so like a mechanical engineer for Jaguar, Jaguar Land Rover. And um, he came on the system, 
wanted to be a DevOps engineer, so like a cloud engineer, and uh, had no background in tech at all, but he'd been doing stuff in his spare time. And he had done some challenges on our system where you could verify your skills and show your code. And we ended up getting a job at a consultancy. And I looked up his profile, because me and you spoke about it a few weeks ago. I looked up his profile the other day, and he's moved on to a couple of roles since, because that was four years ago. So I'm like, wow, he actually did not just transition once, he actually stayed in that role. So like, I love the fact that when people retrain themselves, because I think there is nothing more terrifying than what you're saying where it's, was it 80,000 hours you spent working? Approximately, yeah. yeah. You spent 80,000 hours doing something you don't love at all. And then you get onto your, you get onto your deathbed and you're talking to your grandchildren and you're like, I wish I'd done something differently. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bronnie Ware. She was a palliative care worker, so she worked um, basically in hospice with people okay. in their dying days. Yeah. And with their permission, she recorded their, she said, she asked them, what's your top regret of yeah. your life? And she wrote a book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And the number one regret was, I wish I had lived a life um, true to myself, not the life others wanted of me. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you talk about your deathbed, yeah, we're not going to remember, um, you know, if we're miserable, we're just, we're going to know that, <laughs> which is sad. Yeah, you, yeah. Do, you don't remember that, that one, because uh, like the, the example I gave was something that happened probably in my first two months of hacker job, but I still remember that probably more clearly than any other placement I've ever made in my career. And I've been in recruitment and then platform recruitment for eight years now. And that's the one, the one that actually sticks out. So it's always those those big moments that you remember, not the little ones that you're like, God, I wasn't, I wish I wasn't here for that. Yeah, exactly. So I again, I think, you know, and maybe in past generations, it was we didn't have as much choice as who we loved or where we lived, and we have a little bit more mobility now and more choice in that. But I think for some reason, I still think that we have, um, we believe we have less choice when it comes to career, and um, I don't think that's true. So I, I think that big corporations, to some extent, always kind of lead the line in terms of how things work. Because startups can do one thing, but in reality, most people will work for a bigger corporation or, or percentage-wise. So is there anything that you think that big corporations can be doing to help people earlier in their careers, like give them more advice? Or how, how do you think that would sit? Yeah, so I was lucky and actually uh, both of the tech com big tech companies I worked for had uh, kind of a career development mm. section of their human resources department and gave employees the opportunity to do whether it was management skills training or just your own kind of skills assessments or strengths assessments, personality assessments. And I really appreciated that because I did learn, you know, whether it was DISC, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I don't know um, DISC is, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the more popular work ones or, um, you know, strength finders, like I mentioned. But yeah. it really, I think that was. I know as an employee, as a young employee, that made me feel again, like they were investing in me. They cared about me. They were trying to build up my skills, both as a manager and as a, just a person. And I think um, more and more corporations are recognizing the need for healthy cultures. And I think part of that healthy culture is that investment in the employee outside of their you know specific job responsibility. Yeah. One, one of the things I love most is when I hear about graduate schemes where you get to try out, like during your two years, you get to try out like five or six different jobs. I'm like, yeah. that's great because it means that you can actually find out, okay, this is where I originally wanted to start. Like, I don't know, I wanted to be a project manager, 
but then I get to spend some time with the testing team. I get to spend some time with the development team. Um, maybe I get to do something in marketing or commercial. And you walk out and you're like, actually, I know what I want to do now. Whereas um, you say you don't fall into your career and maybe I was, I don't want to say destined because I don't like the, the idea of destiny, but like I never wanted to get in recruitment as a child. Like it was nothing, it was something I had no idea what it was. Yeah. And I've fallen into it and I, I love it now I'm in the role I am now. Hated it for a long time if I'm, if I'm to- being totally honest. I, I guess the, I, if I'd been given more options, I probably would have gone into a different uh, career path. Just yeah. I didn't really know what else to do after I left university. So I applied to a couple of jobs and this is what I ended up in. But I would right. have loved someone to take me by the neck a little bit and go, okay, like try out these six or seven roles, come back to me in six months and tell me actually where is your passion. Yeah. And I love, well, both on the, as a student, for students to have the foresight to say, hey, I want to get an internship. Because I know in the States and most university programs, like that's not required. But if you go and do that on your own and seek that out, there are lots of, of big companies. I have a, a big tech client right now who has a very robust summer intern program. And it's brilliant because these um, interns are getting to pick the department, whether it's engineering or marketing or product management and they get to go in and it's only for a, a, you know two months but they're at least getting a little bit of exposure not only to whatever that role is but also to corporate culture because yep. maybe they might decide like i actually don't like corporate culture or business maybe i want to do something totally different yep. um so i think it's i think that's good i mean i, I was thinking about how you know doctors when they're being trained right they do these rotations in different departments and then they decide what they want to specialize in and so if there's something that either corporations can do but also students um, in uni or you know even just past uni can do to like you said go and test out these different roles and departments that would be ideal yeah and i I think it comes back to something we were discussing earlier where even that at that young age you you think right i've graduated from university i need to make sure that i know where i'm going now so you you're too scared to turn around go actually six months in this isn't for me like because you you feel like you're going to disappoint someone where in reality you're so young at that point you have the opportunity like i still feel fairly young now i'm 30 but i feel fairly young now um but like i wish i could turn around to my 22 year old self and go Spend a little bit more time just uh, traveling, spend a little bit of time discovering yourself and what you want to do and then come back and then figure out what, you, what you're going to do in the future. So I think that's, that's so true. Yeah. I always joke that, you know, I, I ask people, what did you want to be when you were young? You know, and, and people wanted to be astronauts and, you know, policemen and firefighters and dancers and, and artists. And then, you know, how many of you are doing that thing today? Very few. Right. Um, and I grew up, um, I'm Indian. And so I grew up thinking or actually being told that I wanted to be a doctor. (laughs) So I actually went into university pre-med as a pre-med major, biology major. And it wasn't until about halfway through my second year that I thought this, I know, I don't want to be a doctor. Like that's actually not what I want to do. And I, I switched to psychology with an emphasis in social psychology. So the study of group behavior. So I got somewhat lucky in that I didn't go through that whole process of, of maybe doing something that I now know I would not have enjoyed um, as much as I respect that profession and have a lot of family in it. But I think if we could encourage more young people, exactly what you said, it's okay if you don't know. And not only that, but take the time while you're young to travel and get to know yourself because that's a great way to get to know yourself too. 
and ask yourself these questions and um, find a mentor who you know can help you and pursue these internships there, there I think there are a lot of things that young people can do but you know for people who are listening who are like well great I'm in my late 20s or 30s you know you can still do a lot of those things as far as traveling as far as getting to know yourself as far as asking yourself those questions getting a mentor finding you know some kind of career coach or recruiter so i think there's things that you can still do um, i just wish we had a different system of, of education like we've been talking about we, we were speaking a couple of weeks ago about internships and i love the idea of an internship but i i gave you an example um the other week of uh i believe i gave you this example someone that i went to university with and they wanted to move into e-commerce, specifically in um, in content creation for uh, gaming websites. And they did an internship and spent a lot of they they actually moved to to London from Manchester for it, and it was an unpaid in, internship. So they did it for three months and had to rent a place in London for I think it was twelve hundred pound a month because London is extortionate uh, and uh, weren't getting paid for it. So my opinion on internships, to be honest, is it's it's a very cruel way to do things that if you are getting a service out of someone, you should at least pay them enough to be living. Because I think the problem is from the perspective of how internships work, you have to come from a certain background to be able to do an internship a lot of time if you want to travel and, and, and fulfill your dreams and go work for certain companies. Because if I wanted to move to San Diego, my parents would have to back me. Like I wouldn't be able to sit off my own back and there's a very small percentile of people that that is possible for. So what's your opinion on unpaid internships, I guess? On the onus of corporations to have some kind of paid internships to support kids that could be some of their most talented people because they're really missing out on an entire section of the potential job force when all they are offering is unpaid internships and then if you're a uni student yeah and and there are paid internships and so to also be a little bit picky and say i think i'm worth being paid for my work i mean you wouldn't go and work at a restaurant for free and this is actually an even you know more skilled um thing that you're doing and so to even value yourself and say okay i'm worth i'm going to be performing a a task i'm going to work hard for them and i think i deserve to be paid even if it's minimum wage um but at least something to um to be able to you know to your point whether it's it's pay for your rent and food, uh, just basic living expenses, because yeah, not everyone, um, in fact, probably most people aren't going to be backed by their parents. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I graduated from uni, I actually did my first job out of university was a paid internship. And um, that's what got me started in my marketing career. And so I absolutely believe in paid internships. I wish more companies believed in that. I think, um, you know, there are, depending on the opportunities you want, again, sometimes and your circumstance. If you can afford an unpaid internship, great. You know, I don't want people to be discouraged. If you can't, then I do want you to pursue a paid one and they are out there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the, unfortunately, the social economic backgrounds of some people mean they literally can't do that. So people yeah. talk, companies are always talking about diversity and inclusion and all this kind of stuff. It's like, in reality, I don't want to go too far down with a certain road but the, the problem is that you are creating, like you said, almost like an elitist uh, opportunity where 
historically certain races have had more opportunity or have been built more into the uh, into the economy. So it means that if you come from a different background, you're going to really struggle to to move in certain companies. So like I am so behind paid internships, but I love that we're on the same page for for uh, the unpaid internships. Yeah, and I think more and more because of what you're talking about, people are recognizing that you know diversity and inclusion actually makes the workforce stronger. Um, that there are now a lot of also um, you know nonprofit organizations that are trying to invest into students, even in you know their secondary in secondary educations, um, like Girls Who Code or you know Girl Power. There's all these things like getting girls, for example, into STEM. Um, yep. programs and, in, and into tech and then also lots of uh, programs that are focused on um, you know minorities and getting them also having them exposed to the opportunity because you know the reality is I, I know I mentor students and um, a lot of them their parents did not go to university so it's not even something on their radar so for them to be exposed to something like a tech uh, environment is actually quite foreign to them and the opportunity to do so is is really amazing and I think we've seen how that benefits them and then again how it benefits the companies because the companies like i said are missing out on this entire potential group of people that could be really contributing um quite quite impactfully to their organization yeah absolutely it's interesting because not neither of my parents went to university either like i was the first person in not just my immediate family but my entire family's go to university wow. so yeah. if you don't have like a mentor to tell you okay this is what you should try that it's very hard to, to know what route you should go. And I think the, um, the women in tech or, or girls in tech and girls in code is a really interesting um, one to go on. I was watching, uh, I think I've, I've spoken about this on a previous podcast, but I was watching a episode of Shark Tank um, yeah. on Netflix the, the other day. And one of my favorite episodes I've ever had of Shark Tank was two, two women um, who came on and they said, actually, we both were lawyers really successful lawyers, but we decided that because of where our family came from and they were, both, they were all engineers, mechanical engineers by trade, we wanted to start our own uh, STEM course. And I was like, that is so good that people are starting to do this, this kind of thing. Because I think where I see the problem in the market is that every company wants diversity. And when a lot of companies talk about diversity, really they're talking about women. Like they're not talking about true neurodiversity or anything like that. Companies all want to have diversity in their in their teams, but they think they can do it at a very senior level. And in reality, you need to build that talent pool somewhere. Otherwise, you're all squabbling over the over the thousand people that are thousand women at that level. Um, whereas in reality, if you go to schools and help women in in, in tech early and help STEM courses, it means that give it five years and suddenly there's a hundred thousand uh, yeah. women that are coming into the industry. Yeah. I think it's both. I think it's both and because I think um, if you have a boardroom of people who all look exactly the same, then it's they're less likely to invest in those uh, internships or paid internships or whatever. So, um, but I think that's a really good point. I think you can build up that that talent pool um, to grow and then have this, you know, a, a larger um, pool to select from if we invest at an early age. Yeah. And I, I think your, your point actually is super valid too, because um, if you can't see anyone that you you can aspire to be, it's very hard to know how to get there. 
Whereas if I see someone from like my school who went this route and has ended up in this role, I can go, wow, they did that. I can do it too. Exactly. That inspiration is huge. It's like being able to aspire to be someone. Yeah. Um, question I always ask so, someone, and I can't wait for the big C word uh, to, uh, to be over in the world. So I don't have to ask this question anymore. But post COVID, what do you think that the, the job market will look like? What changes do you think we'll see? You know, we've seen so many industries obviously struggle, whether it's um, entertainment and theater or a lot of the service industries, but we've seen a lot of industries thrive and we've actually seen a lot of innovation. And so post COVID, it's even hard to predict the, the innovation that's gonna happen between now and post COVID. But I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for people who are willing to, again, maybe think outside the box, um, be creative for people that have reinvented themselves, companies that have reinvented themselves to seize different opportunities because we think about industries that all of a sudden are thriving, right? At-home fitness, <laughs> completely taken off, right? Everyone now has uh, a home gym if, if they can afford it. Um, delivery services. And I have a, for example, we were talking about team building. Well, I have a client in my marketing consulting side who does, um, he, he calls it team connecting, but he does these really fun virtual game shows for corporate clients. And so you have this group of 15 to 20 people playing versions of Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and Prices, right? And again, it's super fun, but it's all virtual. And I think now companies realizing, oh, I don't actually have to have my employees here nine to five, and I can maybe save a little bit of money on the lease of this building um, and have, have a remote workforce that is quite productive, but also figuring out how to connect them. So that's just an example of an opportunity that, you know, has come up. But I think I, I'm not, I think people need to be staying motivated and staying in action now um, to set themselves up for success post COVID. So for example, if you've been laid off, I think there's a lot you could be doing now, whether it's building up your skills, asking yourself some of those questions, um, reaching out and just, you know, redoing your LinkedIn profile, reaching out to recruiters, redoing your CV, so that when some of, you know, more industries open up and more jobs come online, that you are at the forefront and prepared to jump on those things. So, like, look at what you're, you want to do and see if you can build something out of it, and you never know what's going to happen. You never know, and I think taking the time, because when we are working nine to five, and then you're going home, and you're whether it's feeding yourself or feeding your family or, or whatever it is, we're just, we're just busy, right? We just live in this culture of busyness. And so to have the time to pause and actually um, intentionally look at yourself, look at the things that you enjoy. Again, I keep on going back to asking yourself those questions, but it's really powerful. Um, and then again, talking to people, this is, everyone's online now, like go on LinkedIn and search different things that you could be interested in, read articles, figure out, what else is out there that you might not even be aware of? And so this is the perfect opportunity to do some of those things. Nice. And uh, I guess my final question, it kind of builds off something we were discussing earlier, women in tech. Would you give any career advice to someone that wants to transition, particularly women, um, on, on how to do so? Um, to transition to tech? Yeah. I mean, A, I think it's figuring out why you want to transition to tech yeah. uh, and asking yourself that question first and not that it's a, 
bad reason or, or there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to make sure that there's a why right behind everything. And then um, I think seeking out some of those, if there are paid internships or looking at some of those nonprofits that do, a lot of them are, are focused on younger generation, but there's lots of, I know even we, we call them extension classes here, but they're uh, really like university classes for adults. Yep. Um, looking into some of those things because there are opportunities to go and build some of those skills and get some certifications. You don't have to get a full degree necessarily, but get some certifications, um, look into those programs, talk to people, talk to other women in tech to understand their experience and ask that their advice. How did they get into their companies and start networking, making contacts in companies that you might want to work for. You know, we, we still, we still are a relationship based uh, yeah. world, whether or not we want to believe that. And so the more relationships and personal contacts you can form, the better. Those are some of the things you can at least start with, you know, asking yourself the why and then making some contacts and doing some research. Networking is so huge to me. I think that's one of the most missed skills in the current generation that people don't know how to network. Um, people, and oftentimes you'll see it in LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn as a networking tool, but the problem with LinkedIn for my in my eyes is everyone uses it as a pitch service like yes. they'll connect with someone and then pitch them straight away and okay. it's like that's not how something should work you should be going in with some something informative like oh i've seen you've done this and have a conversation ultimately there might be a pitch involved in in it like there might be an end goal in mind but still go into the conversation with a networking mindset because ultimately if you if you go in pitch straight away, you're never going to get talking to that person. Whereas that person would be huge in your career later down the line. That's right. And I, I found that if you connect with someone and you say, Hey, can we meet for, you know, maybe post COVID coffee or, or right now, like a zoom call yep. or just a phone call. Can we have, can I, can I have 30 minutes of your time to pick your brain? Most yep. people are willing to do that. And most people love talking about themselves. So it's, it's an easy ask for the most part. And, and you are building rapport with that person. You're building a relationship with that person. And then you're getting wisdom from them. Yeah. So I think that there's, to your point, yeah, you're not selling them on yourself. Hey, can I have an internship or a job at your company? Can I pick your brain? Can I do an informational interview where all yeah. I'm doing is learning about what you do, how you do it, how you got to where you are. Tell me about your career path. And um, I know for, you know, my marketing consulting side of the business, every single one of my clients has been uh, maximum two degrees of separation. So it's always been either someone I knew directly or someone who referred someone else to me. Um, and that's been nine and a half years of that, of, you know. So I 100% agree with you. I think networking is a lost art, but it's also been turned into something a little bit sleazy yeah, that's and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. We can get back to just relationship building for the sake of relationship building. Exactly. And, and what, what I think is interesting about the two degrees of separation and referrals is that ultimately there's people that have reached out to me during COVID that I actually, when I hear something's going on in another company, I'm like, oh, I actually know someone, like, should I connect you? And that's, that's the power of networking. It's not the, that that person may bring something to the table for you right now. It'll be that they'll remember that really good conversation you had with them and they'll introduce you somewhere else. So that's what that's the power of networking to me absolutely yeah i've really enjoyed this conversation been really insightful and i think that probably some of the listeners will will find the same thing so i guess what is the best way for people to reach out to you post podcast if they want to have a, a further conversation or one of those 30 minute informative chats that you're talking about yeah i would love to um they can reach out to me on linkedin i'm at rachel k cross 
they can reach out to me on my website, rachelkgroup.com. And um, I'm also on Facebook at Rachel K Group. So those are a few ways you can reach out. So uh, if any of the listeners want to reach out to myself or the team at Hackjob, if you reach out to hello at hackjob.co, and we'll take it from there. Thanks again for your time, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.